Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasa. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. You just go to thetomeshow.com, you click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other episode, and then you shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about the Unearthed Arcana rules for Waterborne Adventures. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Which fantasy waters are the most dangerous? Joe Lestowski. Hey everyone, I am Joe, and I feel like there are no waters more dangerous than the dark waters and the pirates uh, therein. Uh, Noijatat are those things dangerous. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a chongolongo monkey monkey bird to uh, be worried about uh, what might come out of those waters at you. <laughs> the dark waters. What an excellent ex. That was actually going to be uh, what I was going to say as well. So good, good job, Joe. And anybody out there who understands that reference, double points for you. Topher Cohen, which fantasy waters are most dangerous? I don't know the name of it. <laughs> Whatever water the Little Mermaid is in. <laughs> I mean, that's just got to be bad. Let's think about it. The Disney universe, how many ships go down? And she basically hangs out in shipwrecks all the time. And then there's that giant squid witch queen girl. I mean, this is bad. I don't want to be there. That's a scary place. <laughs> that's true. That's true. They're, and they seem to have no remorse about the shipwrecks at all. None. It's like a playground. Oh, look, another shipwreck. Yay! <laughs> and all the crabs are Rastafarians. I mean, exactly. You know. <laughs> uh, Sam Dillon, which fantasy waters are the most dangerous? Well, I'm sure that no one will be shocked at all to know that the most dangerous waters are the waters in the Sea of Dread, just to the south of the known world. Therein lies the Isle of Dread. Uh, going even just a few miles off the coast of the Isle of Dread, you run into pirates and sea spiders and sea ghouls and uh, dragons and all sorts of different nefarious little creatures. So what's what's more traditionally dangerous than that? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I believe the Isle of Dread is a, a great answer. In fact, it's so bad that you would rather stay on the Isle of Dread then uh, navigate the waters around. That's right. Indeed. Anytime there's a sea spider, I am, uh, I'm out. Yes. <laughs> a giant, a giant sea spider. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Not your standard you know, sea spider. That's right. And in fifth edition, they moved the Isle of Dread to basically the plane of water, mm -hmm. which means, you know, you could be in every ocean or no ocean all at the same time. What's more scary than that? With giant spiders. Oh my gosh. I'm having an existential crisis. Yes. And yes. I'm fighting a giant sea spider. That's right. Horrifying. Uh, well, <laughs> if that's the kind of adventure that interests you, then you should check out the latest Unearthed Arcana article all about waterborne adventures. There is a lot of great stuff in here, and we're actually going to break it down and take it player option by player option. We're going to start with the Minotaur race. This is the Kryn Minotaur that they have here. All of the flavor text and story that they have goes along with what we know about the minotaurs of Kryn. These are not your large variety, they are your medium-sized uh, minotaur. And we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, their flavor and the mechanics that we have for these things. Uh, there's also a lot of interesting sidebars in here as well, where they talk about, 
you know, the Minotaur has some abilities that are very C-related, but if you want to work a Minotaur into your game and you don't have quite a waterborne uh, campaign planned there, they have advice for that too, which is always very helpful. Uh, but I want to know, what did you guys think of the Minotaur? Joe Lestowski, let's start with you. I rather liked it. Uh, I rather enjoyed the the flavor that they put into it. It feels uh, unique. It doesn't feel like uh, it's just another half-orc with horns or anything like that. I feel like I could go places with a minotaur like this. Um, I was a little worried by some of the language used in some of the abilities, just because when whenever you say something like, you can perfectly recall any path you have traveled, that negates the need to ever make any check to remember any detail along that path. Or any, you know, like like when you use overly broad language, it will be taken advantage of by people that are specific with their language. I I, I just I I would rather avoid that potential power gamer hazard as a DM. <laughs> yeah, well, and it seems to be in abilities that are not necessarily combat related. Um, yes, but those are the kinds of things where where DM adjudication really has to come down and decide what does perfectly mean exactly. Well, and I think you'd also run into people trying to say, well, are my horns a, a, a monk weapon? Are, are, do the horns stay if I wild shape? Do this, you know, like trying to find ways to use, you know, that just aren't explicitly spelled out that would then later need to be spelled out in some errata that they never put out. Yep, that is a good point. And that is luckily what Unearthed Arcana is all about. Uh, players reading stuff and hopefully eventually giving feedback on it. You know, this is all considered play test material so i'm sure we're definitely going to find uh, mistakes and things like that sam dylan what did you think of the minotaur uh i thought it was interesting um i had the same sort of um reservations about perfectly recalling anything anytime you tell i that was a, a particular turn of phrase that caught my attention as well anytime you tell a player that their their character can perfectly recall something um i don't know that 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 just uh uh, you know, it, 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 there's something about it. I, I don't know. It would have to be reworded for me to actually, I would have to like wipe that out and type something else in if I was going to print this out <laughs> and give it to my players to use. Um, the other thing is I, I feel like, cause I'm not talking about anything else, but just the sort of general stats and all that, that they, in the very first part, um, I think they really lost um, an opportunity, and this is going to sound probably really um, petty or not important, but the languages they speak, they can speak, read and write common. Mm -hmm. Well, what to do? Oh boy, <laughs> they're a sailing race that can have you know conflict and trade with lots of different types of of other creatures and cultures and and races and all that. And yet, well, they're not going to be able to talk to any of them. So, what's the point? You know, I, I just it just struck me as kind of one of those. Hmm, that is the little lazy part of the. You know, uh, I don't know. It just it's you know. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. Of course, I could. You can add in whatever you want. I could add in whatever I want. But it's kind of one of those, just you know, kind of dull on the finish. Yeah, I actually that's something that caught my eye as well. And I I wanted them to yeah maybe have some options in there, like one more mm -hmm. language of your choice, just because of right. all the traveling they're doing, or right. uh, you know, a, a sidebar that said like, hey, maybe they can speak giant in some places. Right. Or you their... you could just say like, and you know two other languages provided you can put con historical context as to why minotaurs would have interacted with those other creatures, you know, yeah. throw, you know, force some, some, you know, creativity in there on the part of the player or the GM. And, and there you've got, there you've got it, you know? 
Perfect. Or use it as use it as a way to tie the character to other characters and say one additional language spoken by another member of your party. There you Ooh. go. See, yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. Guys, guys, we got to write a role playing game together <laughs> centered centered on sailing minotaurs. <laughs> there you go. You can speak lots of languages. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Topher, what did you think of the minotaur? So I'm of two minds. I think the document they gave us is pretty great, right? I have some issues. The issues you guys brought up. The whole um, arrogant conquerors, but honor above all seems like they conflict each other a little bit. Uh, you know, the fact that they believe they're above everyone else and they have no problem killing the weak, but they're lawful people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a little comforting. But here's my issue with the whole thing. This is what they give us for Dragonlance. <laughs> <laughs> a minotaur. Probably the least recognizable race if you've if someone all they've done is read the original three books. Right, so I, I kind of wanted I, – I was waiting for that, that Dragonlance document to come like we got for Eberron, which gave me not just a new race and a new you know, class to go with those races, but also background information about the world and about things in the world and that kind of stuff. And I didn't feel like we got that, so that's my disappointment. As this document about Minotaurs, I think they did a good job, and I think the stuff you guys have touched on, the, the mention I made about Aryan Conquerors, Honor Above All, great. But as a document – that's going to be this is our Dragonlance document. I'm a little disappointed. I I wanted more. Well, As someone who wants to run something in Dragonlance pretty desperately, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't say here's your Dragonlance document. It says let's talk about Waterborne Adventures, and it just so happens that we're going to turn something from Dragonlance and focus it on Waterborne stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree so, with that, but I know. feel like this is what they're giving us for Dragonlance. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying, but it doesn't, you know, like the Eberron document actually said, hey, look, here's a little slice of Eberron and what you could do with it in fifth edition. No, so. no, you're right. No, you're right. So, but why give me a, 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 a race out of a world that we don't have a lot of information about right now for fifth edition? Yeah. Well, and you'll notice that none of the bonds, not a single one of them really says anything about, about Dragonlance. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're right. sort so, of Dragonlance specific, yeah. but not exactly. But not really, right? Yeah, they, they sort of they're edging that, right? Yeah, and I think one thing that is great about Unearthed Arcana is it looks like we're getting one of these a month. Eventually, they're going to run out of stuff and have to give you a better Dragonlance document, Topher. So, uh, <laughs> but it does stink that this is all you have for now. Your mouth to God's ears, James. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the 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 key phrase for Fifth Edition has always been iconic. That's always been what they want to go for. And so, I looked back at previous editions and the Waterborne Adventure type things released for those to see what I've been offered in the past and what I wasn't offered in the in the present, and for an article about adventure on the high seas, having a race with hooves for feet didn't seem like, uh, <laughs> you know, the most, like if you, if you look back and, and, and granted a lot of this is, was the open gaming license and such, but, um, fantasy flight put out, uh, a D 20 for 3.5 called the seafarers handbook that had, uh, aquatic elves and, uh, mer people and half marrows, which were like aquatic troll things, uh, all those different racial options, all you know, and whether or not they were balanced or not, uh, that that remains to be seen. But uh, <laughs> but they were they were just trying to give you things that specifically would work in an aquatic uh, setting that would make it more fun for people to run an aquatic campaign. And I feel like Minotaurs don't really do that for me. If if you're going to put it in that context, I was greatly disappointed by 
the content of the article because it's not really about waterborne adventures. <laughs> it's about waterborne adventurers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it doesn't tell me anything about ships. It doesn't tell me anything about anything, really. Nothing about weather-related things, nothing about shipwreck-related things, nothing about pirate-related things, nothing about any of that. It's more about character options for – which I get. I mean, that's it's nice, too, for what it is, but then don't name it Waterborne Adventures, just like you didn't name it Dragonlance because it's not really about Dragonlance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot of – this is great player options in here, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing for DMs. I wanted rules for a sinking ship, like how long they right. have to get – oh, I really want yep. that rules module. Well, now keep in mind that the document does say – the Dungeon Master Guide contains rules for managing ships at sea, along with encounters, counter tables, rules for weather, and other useful tools. So they're basically saying here in the very first part of the document, hey, if you want to run a water, a ocean adventure, refer to your um, DMG. Mm-hmm. And if you are running a, an ocean-based campaign, here's maybe a race you can introduce to allow your players to play. So that part, I love. Uh, I, I, And I also, you know, you guys are right. There aren't as many touchstones to Dragonlance mentioned in here except for the fact that it's a you know not a a uh, forgotten realms minotaur it's definitely ones from the Dragonlance world so i could see someone trying to bring this in my question is is the fact that does this give us enough information to integrate this into a forgotten realms or the known world as we have it in fifth edition right now mm-hmm. campaign that's my question to you guys uh, I mean, I feel like you could take the Minotaur section of this and, and drop it into a homebrew, certainly. Uh, I don't know about the realms. I'm, I don't know enough, I feel like, about all the realms in lore. But, I mean, a, a crafty DM could probably fit it in, I feel like. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Whether, whether you know, everyone will agree with this. I feel like I'm a reasonably crafty DM. And I, I feel like I could fit it in, but I don't feel like... I've been given a lot of tools to make that easy. If you look in the Dungeon Master Guide, uh, we're looking at pages 116 through 119, which is the unusual environments where they've got underwater and the sea. And -hmm. what they give you are random encounter tables and advice to use a weather chart and some questions about how you're going to get a crew for a ship you might end up owning. And that's it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so even even the reference to the DMG isn't really all that useful because there's not that much there. Topher, your question certainly about the the realms and everything. Uh, I think part of what's hard is, yeah, we could work them into the realms, but what if something shows up there at where you've worked them in? You know, because we don't have the full fifth edition realms, as I'm sure Jeff Greiner would point out if he were here. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he, you could put them somewhere, but then all of a sudden there might be something else there in a, in a new published project. And Joe, you're right. Like this, this is a great article. This is a great start, but it's certainly, if you want to have an adventure on a boat, you're going to need to make up a lot of the rules for yourself still at this point. I don't know, Sam, what do you think? Would you be able to work these minotaurs into your homebrew campaign or forgotten realms? I mean, homebrew, sure. No problem. Um, Although in my homebrew world, orcs are the seafaring race, but um, yeah, I mean there could be a clash against minotaurs and orcs. That would that would work out perfectly, uh, actually. I don't know about the realms because I'm not a, a, a realms um, lore person, uh, but 
I mean, I think the the flavor, you know, I, it's, I'm I'm also of two minds about the article as a whole. It's going for a distinct flavor, and I think it hits that for the most part based on the size of the document and what they were going for. Um, but you know, I, maybe this is just sort of residual second, third, fourth edition ideations in my brain. But you know, we're used to getting so much material so fast and so that we have a wide range of things to uh, go through and choose from. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case anymore. And I think part of the dissonance with what happens when I read an Anarthricana article is I'm looking for that sort of material. And that's not what this is. This is, Hey, here's a little tiny taste of playtest something. Mm -hmm. And it has flaws and it's meant to have a slight flavor and do with it what you will. And I think for that, they really succeed. Um, but for anything else, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. It's hard to build a campaign around this. That's for right. Sure. I obviously, is if you listen to this, no, I stopped playing when second edition hit and didn't start playing until fourth. So mm -hmm. in the second edition world, the, three edi the third edition, this is a question for Joe and Sam. Did we get more fleshed out sea fairing, sea combat, sea campaign rules. So um, second okay. edition had a blue second edition had two types of supplemental books at first. They had the brown books which were all the character class books and they had the blue covered books they were like faux leather or whatever that were all the dms and there was like a campaign guide and a catacomb guide and a castle guide and a weapons guide and a, and one of those guides was of ships in the sea and it's a pretty good book you can actually buy it on drive through rpg or dndclassics.com use the tome show affiliate link uh <laughs> and you you can do that and it's a pretty good book it has pictures of all these different kinds of ships it talks about how much their ca cargo capacity is how many crew members they would have you know it's only like a 64 page book or something and it's a really great it has some some naval combat things i I never used it for second edition naval combat. I couldn't tell you how good it actually is or, or not, but but it's a really nice little reference book. Um, and third edition has has um, had Storm Rack, which was a the hardcover book put out by Watsi. Oh yes, um, that was about. Um, how to deal with the uh, stormy. I, I, I don't, that's actually one of the sort of environment books that I didn't get. So I don't know to what extent that one was any good or not. Um, but that series in general was pretty popular. It had a desert one and it had a storm one. It had a frost one and it had something else. And uh, so, yeah. So and then of course with third edition, there were all those third party things. Like I have that, uh, that fantasy flight, that FFG game, game Seafarers book. It's a really great book. <laughs> it's yeah, really yeah. great. Um, so, I mean, there was a, of course, a multitude of things for third edition, not not just by Wizards of the Coast, but things published by third parties. In, in addition, um, in second edition, the uh, you said they were brown. I, I always saw them as more maroon. But the important thing is they all mm. had horrible bindings uh, where all the pages yeah. would fall out. Uh, yeah. But the complete book of Wizards had a whole mm. chapter at the back about how spells would work differently underwater. Mm -hmm. And like, if you cast a lightning bolt underwater, it's this giant like uh, pillar of lightning that shoots out of your hand and and kills fish for X number of feet and does all like. It was a really somebody mm -hmm. put a lot of thought into these are all the spells that work differently underwater. Your fireball is kind of screwed. 
if you cast it underwater or, you know, like, and and it was, it was useful and it was helpful and it was interesting to make you think about, okay, how am I going to prepare my spells if I'm going to be on a ship and potentially fall underwater? How am I going to, you know? Um, and so that was, that was really, uh, helpful back in that edition. And I didn't see any of that in this, uh, this document either. So I think what I'm hearing everybody saying, and tell me if you guys disagree with me, is that we're, we were conditioned in fourth edition to this kind of information, right, would have come as a series of articles or maybe a uh, an ed- a edition of a Dragon magazine. Yeah, where every all- article in the Dragon mm-hmm. would be yeah. about some aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. The like the, the the theme of that issue would have been Waterborne Adventures, and we would have gotten this article. We would got an article about you know different kinds of ships and how to buy them, how magic works differently, how to deal with weather, how to deal with travel, you know, maybe even a short adventure that takes place on a boat, you know, mm-hmm. and then that month's yeah. um, dungeon would have been the same thing. A lot of seafaring and waterborne mm-hmm. adventures. So I think that's at least where I'm coming from. Tell me if you guys agree is the fact that I'm comparing this to that maybe unrightfully so. Cause as James would pointed out and you guys have pointed out, this is a play test document at its mm-hmm. truest sense. They basically put some stuff together, tested it in house some, and then shoved it out to the world to go, okay guys, give it a try and then come back to us and tell us what you think. So maybe I'm I'm comparing apples to kumquats. For my part, I think that they're pretty upfront about how different this is. It's still okay if it's not satisfying. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's okay for them to say this is what this is, and I feel like it's okay for us to say like that's great. We would really like more. Uh, in fourth edition, that uh, Dragon Magazine issue was actually issue four hundred twelve. It had the Mariner. It also had. Uh, a thing about Shantea and Sylvanus and nature deities and how that might affect uh, clerics on the water, and also a whole article on using ships in your campaign. Okay, Elminster, thank you for that information. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm, I just try and justify the fact that I just renewed my D and D I. I I agree that I think we've been conditioned to get all, and as I was saying before, just get all of this information in these humongous books, one right after the other. And so, you know, there's two ways to look at this. There's the way of saying, well, they're just completely changing what they're doing, and we're kind of floundering trying to figure out how to work that into our what what was our normal sort of preparation and reading patterns. Now it's totally different. Or you could be relatively generous and say, well, they know that all of those third-party products are out, and they know that that all of those other like second and third edition things that even they created are out, and half of them are available on on D and D classics and all that stuff. So, so they're sort of just providing us a, a, a little nugget, and they're assuming already that we're going to go to our tried and trusted sources from before uh, i feel like if that was their intent though they would have put a listing at the end of look at these other sources for additional information see here i am trying to be generous and there you go not <laughs> <laughs> well i mean again it's a uh, a play test document for you know maybe we're going to see waterborne adventures part two come out uh there there could be a lot more to this um i would say that this is probably a pretty good indicator that Somewhere in their seven years of planned out story, they have a ship adventure coming up and they want to get feedback on these rules because eventually there'll be options in, you know, another player companion or a published thing that you have to buy or that kind of thing. Um, That's kind of my thinking. And by all means, we should be very like rah-rah cheerleader moment that they're giving us this content. This content is something that um, a crafty DM or not even a crafty DM, just a 
smart DM can take and put in their game immediately. It allows players to think outside the box, which is something that we always talk about. I think it's great. I think the four of us want more, mm-hmm. but the fact that they're giving us this in general, whether it's this one or the ones before it, is just woo woo great. Yeah, and it's great to have, like Sam said, you know, we're we're used to having so many more options by now. It's great to have some more options to throw at people, and it's awesome that it's free. You know, that that's the other thing is that you yeah. you did pay for Dungeon and Dragon magazine, and here, you know, if if instead you get five pages a month for free, that's kind of cool too. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mariner fighting style. Um, so the fighting styles that fighters and paladins and rangers get, you know, great weapon fighting, two weapon fighting, all that sort of thing that make them better with that particular style of fighting. Mariner is something that allows people to gain a climb and swim speed when they are not in heavy armor and they get a plus one bonus to AC. Uh, this seemed like a pretty cool fighting style to me, even without a seafaring campaign. What did you think, Sam? Uh, I thought it would be useful in a variety of different environments, not just not just on a boat. But um, but I think that's the beauty of it. I actually liked it quite a bit because it is so portable to other places and it's very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can definitely see the connection between you know climbing up to the crow's nest or climbing up the 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 rope you know and 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 you know jumping from one ship to another and just doing different things and you know uh it does have a very mariner flavor but is also portable so i thought it was pretty it was pretty good yeah yeah that was one of my big things about it too i was like oh this would be fun to bring into you know any campaign um i know it sort of does overlap with the defensive fighting style a little bit which gives you plus one to ac but you have to not wear heavy armor and you can't use a shield to get this. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of the times if all you want is a plus one bonus to AC, it's probably because you want to wear big heavy armor and that kind of thing. Topher, what did you think about this fighting style? I liked it a lot. It made me think immediately the first thing I thought when after I read it and I thought, well, what else can I use it for? It's an Indiana Jones Temple of Doom style adventure campaign where you are going to have to be climbing over and, you know, swinging across and that kind of stuff, not a waterborne at all, but, you know, dry land, but having those same kind of skills. I think this is something that we talked about a second ago that a good DM can pull out and put in front of a player and go, Hey, this is something you guys may want to look at. I I like it a lot. Nice. Nice. Joe, what about you? What did you think about the Mariner fighting style? I like it a little too much. I think it's a bit overpowered. Uh, I think, it overlaps with things like if you wanted to be a water genasi, you might do that because it gives you a swim speed. Oh, wait, but you could just be a fighter and then you're no longer unique as a water genasi because fighters get swim speeds now. Uh, or, you know, it, it, it feels like it takes the place of too many things and it gives you too much. Uh, if you look at it compared to the uh, defensive style that uh, where you get a plus one to AC whenever you're wearing any kind of armor... Um, it feels like, well, it's the defense style plus some more uh, in exchange for going with a dex-based fighter instead of a strength-based fighter. And that that just felt like, uh, to me, and granted, I'm coming at this from the standpoint of somebody who fearfully prepares for my uh, organized play players to try and cheese out rules as written uh, whenever <laughs> they see them. So so that's, that's I've, I've got a bit of, a bit of uh, 
I don't want to call it trauma, but but that's that's my my general way of approaching things. Is the how are players going to try to break this rule? Oh, I see. Uh, but that that was my feeling. Was it felt a little overpowered and a little overlapping into other things that made other game features feel unique? And I feel like it'll it'll make them more obsolete. Almost like back in the D and D next play test when they first had the uh, the dragon sorcerer and it was a better fighter than the fighter and a better wizard than the wizard and you were like oh why would we ever play fighters or wizards again <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny i you know i was thinking about that too but i do think if you're making a dex based fighter and then you're giving up you know you're giving up duelist or you're giving up two weapon fighting style instead to have this other thing um <laughs> You know, and and so I do think there's a little bit of a payoff, but I think you're right. Like, especially with that that climb speed and that swim speed being equal to your normal speed, it's like, well, depending on how often that comes up, like climbing comes up all the time. So, right. uh, and and a crafty player will be able to really exploit that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but even if even if it was just you get advantage on climbing and swimming checks, I would be more okay with that than just being flat out. Yeah, you can automatically move as fast in the water or climbing as you do on land. Right, right. You're Spider Man. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's important what um, Joe said. And if you go to the beginning of the document, it does state that this is not legal for Adventures League or organized play. It's really set for people's home games, and I think that's something that's kind of great and exciting in itself it allows dms to uh, introduce this stuff but yeah just remember to read that stuff earlier on and know that don't show up your local friendly gaming store with a you know a roguish archetype swashbuckler and and try to sit down and play encounters or expeditions please don't please 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 (laughs) for for the for the love of joe and topher please don't (laughs) well and speaking of roguish archetypes let's talk about the swashbuckler so obviously, uh, swashbucklers were we're all familiar with the dashing rogues who run around uh, using their charisma to get the uh, you know attractions of others and and persuade people to do what they want, and then they also have big flashy fighting styles. Uh, taking a look at this roguish archetype, it certainly looks quite fun to play, uh, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Topher, thoughts on the swashbuckler? I want to play one. I want to play one right now. <laughs> I think it's the most. I think it's the coolest thing I've read since I we did the preview and I saw the bard. I think if we do another play test, I want to do this. This is a ton of fun. Yeah, I am a big fan of this class, and it does look like a ton of fun. And it sort of even addresses a lot of people have complaints about the rogue and two weapon fighting and you're using your bonus action to hide and why, you know, when would you ever use it to do this other thing? And, uh, you know, they sort of address that, uh, with this, which is pretty cool. Uh, This really reminds me of a, a dread pirate Roberts kind of roguish character. This really, if, if you want to put it in movie terms, when I read this, that's exactly what I thought. Uh, what did you think, Joe? Um, I really appreciate that much like in second edition, and again, we're going back to our iconic feel here, there's French thrown in for no reason. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the third level, uh, is it toujours l'audace? Uh-huh. Like that, that, that feels just, just like, um, the, I, I want to say it was the second edition complete book of thieves, or maybe it was a complete book of bars, but they had the jongleur for no reason because they didn't want to call him a juggler. So he was the jongleur <laughs> and he was, you know, special, but same thing. Just we'll throw a French word in because we can throw a French word in. Uh, the one thing that I was a little concerned about with this uh, uh, swashbuckler was uh, 
really the charm mechanic in general. I have seen that used uh, to kind of break a lot of encounters or, or sidestep major plot points. Uh, and anytime another thing gives another character the ability to make, uh, to, to do things that will automatically charm creatures, uh, it, it makes me wary. Uh, but again, I'm coming at this from a point of view where I've seen players mess with our adventures. And so, so that, that was my concern from, from my, Here's I, I'm the scared DM standpoint, if you will. They're sure to qualify in here that if it's a hostile creature, you're not charming it, which I think helps a right, little bit. Right. But certainly there is charming an NPC can really uh, change things. And this isn't a spell, you know, where whereas when you charm something with a spell, eventually it, it remembers, hey, I got charmed. But here it just is charmed by you for a minute. So it probably doesn't realized like oh i was magically influenced uh you know it's just like your your sweet panache pulled yeah. off <laughs> you could do this to a beholder because it's anti-magic i wouldn't work on you what do you think about the swashbuckler saying um i love the flavor of it i actually thought panache was interesting because it's basically a mark it's a fourth edition mark if you succeed the target's marked and they have to attack you but I thought it was interesting to, you know, in, in a in a sort of swashbuckler environment, that's a, that's a very sort of cinematic, you see him, you're on the bow, he's on the forecastle, and they're attacking your ship, and you make eye contact, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very sort of, here's the movie scene. And I, you know, I, I sort of just skipped over that whole charmed thing. Um, <laughs> but, um, but in terms of the hostile creature, I thought it, it worked kind of well and think about it, that all, that, that guy's also ninth level. So we're talking about relatively high level here. I mean, th- these people are no slouches. They're, they're up there. They're very skilled, very powerful. So, eh, I don't know. Um, I'm I I'm I'm really curious as to how how it, this would play out through the levels. Um, I'm really I'm really interested. I I think I think it's a good implementation of very swashbucklery type things. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm I like it. So let's talk about the sorceress storm origin. Uh, if you are stormborn. You control magic, uh, specifically a lot of thunder and lightning kind of magic that you get to play around with here. Uh, it's pretty cool. I know one of the big complaints with the Sorcerer is people want to see more Origins. So, hey, look, look at this. You got another one in addition to the favored soul that they presented a little while back as well. Uh, what did you guys think of the Sorceress Storm Origin, Sam? It's okay. I Like, mm-hmm. when you look at something like Storm's Fury... When you're hit by a melee attack, you can use your reaction to deal lightning damage to the attacker equal to your sorcerer level. Your 14th level. So you're doing 14 points of damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, at 14th level, you're doing 14 points of damage. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I guess as a reaction, I guess it's a, it just it sounds very weak to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's full of flavor, but it just sounds sounds weak. Now, I don't I'm not, I don't usually play sorcerer, so I might just be totally misreading it. But it just seems like it, they sort of hedged the power so that they could up the flavor rather than 
sort of balance both, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm not explaining myself very well, but that's what it is. So. What did you think about this, Joe? You know, I actually really like this. Um, and I, I like it in the same way that I like the Druid, which means it's probably overpowered. Uh, but uh, the, the, the Storm's Fury, uh, I don't mind that it's a lower damage because there's also the chance that uh, you push them straight away from you. It, and that's just a cool effect. That's, that's like mm-hmm. a, a, a Big Trouble in Little China kind of like lightning shooting out of me sort of thing. You know, that, that's just a, a neat yeah. effect. And the fact that it's your reaction... As a sorcerer, you're not going to be making opportunity attacks and hitting very often with them. So this is a cool... You don't normally use opportunity attacks. You don't normally have much to do with your reaction. So here's a cool thing to do with your reaction. And I did like that. Uh, And I think if it were a higher amount of damage, it would be something you would have to spend an action doing. And so I think 14 damage is an okay amount for a reactionary ability. Um, The one thing that I... I appreciate that they're putting it in, but it also troubles me a little is this whole uh, sidebar about ribbons and how <laughs> they just outright admit, yeah, there's some things in these classes we didn't bother to balance with anything because we figured, yeah, people probably won't use that to break the game at all. And and they totally could. And and it just it bothers me that, that they're – I mean, I like that they're being open and honest with us, but it bothers me that this is a reality that they can be open and honest about. I felt like the reason they said that whole thing about ribbons wasn't because they're actually worried about the balance. I actually felt like they were saying it more to um, to point out that it's okay to give a PC a power that really doesn't have very much combat ability. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think people get really focused on... I mean, look at me. The first thing I went to was Storm's Fury, you know, um, and I and I think that because those that's sort of the nitty gritty, and I'm kind of a nitty gritty person, so uh, you know, I look at that and I and you know, it's you know, I was corrected, so I, I'm probably the incorrect one. I I don't you know, sorcerers don't I don't really play them, so it's possible I'm totally misreading this. But even with that, I think that the re- when they put the sidebar in, it was more about sort of. People who went, man, Storm Guide, that's lame. You know, I think it was more to tell them, hey, you know what? This is as much about flavor as it is about combat. So it's okay to have that. Yeah, I don't know. So it, it wasn't that's, about the. I didn't read it as about the balance. That's that's true, and that's that's an interesting way to read it. I hadn't really looked at it that way. Again, like I said, I, I always come at these things from a very hard line. What do the numbers say? How mm-hmm. are people going to break them? Standpoint. Uh, one thing right. I did appreciate. And granted, it's not till 18th level, so by then, hopefully, you figured out a way to have a good group dynamic. But uh, yeah. the fact that you could uh, get a flying speed, but you could reduce your flying speed so that all your buddies could also fly with you, and you wouldn't be the solo guy up in the air, uh, that was kind of a cool thing. Uh, I wish there were more powers like that at lower levels so that uh, it would be more about building your effectiveness as a team together. Yeah, I mean, I think some spells let you you sort of do that, but uh, yeah, that's true. Topher, what did you think about the sorceress uh, storm origin? Everything Joe and Sam said. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, hold on, no, I'm, no. In all seriousness, so uh, James, this is I'm going to need your input here because this feels like to me my very limited knowledge of Eberron and Dragon Marks. This seems very much to me like a like that kind of power without the Dragon Mark. Mm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dragon Marks uh, were so different in 4th than they were in 3.5. Uh, you know, 3.5, they basically gave you a, a spell-like ability. 
Um, so right. it sort of, and that would progress if you took more feats towards your dragon mark, it progressed and your dragon mark got better and better and would give you more magical stuff. So it kind of does make sense that this does seem like a dragon mark, uh, because I've, I've played very little in, in, in Eberron. I've read a bunch of them of the novels and there's specifically a series of novels that, the that is making me think about this, where the, the dragon mark where can call lightning and control weather a bit and it the flavor of this feels very much like they're taking that now that said i think that it's cool and if i i'm a lot like sam i don't play a lot of spell casters but if i was going to this is definitely something i'd want to give a try it strikes me as we're talking about this imagine okay you have a party and they have a ship they have a minotaur captain they have two or three uh, mariner fighting style characters, a fighter, a paladin, a ranger, or two fighters and a ranger or something. They have a swashbuckler, rogue, and they have a, a, a storm sorcerer. You've got your entire, your entire party right there. Yeah, you do. It's pretty cool. I think the perfect world for a document like this, right? Or for like any of the arcane, Ar- arcana stuff. Uh, and stuff is the fact that they put this out there they get feedback from the community they make corrections they make changes they format it and then we get it in the new um dragon plus ios and android app as a fully fleshed out here's something to put in your campaign yes article that's i think is the perfect path for this give us this as a playtest document let us pick it apart let people play it and test it and then ask later for feedback then put it as a fully fleshed out article in there. I think that's the perfect storm for pardon my pun. So guys, I think that is probably going to do it for this week's edition of the round table listeners out there. We'd love to know what you think about the waterborne adventures unearthed arcana article. You can find us at the or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the show. And let us know Joe Lestowski, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter, at Joe Lestowski. Uh, I also write a D&D blog on actsofgeek.com, uh, looking at different things that work well or don't work well in my various DMing experiences. And uh, if you happen to be in Western Massachusetts, uh, if you want to come to Northampton to Modern Myths, uh, we can sit you down at a table and have some awesome gaming experiences together. Excellent. And you should do that if you are in that area. Check them out. Uh, Topher, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters at Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-H-E-L. They can find me on the Facebooks and the Google Plus at Topher Cohan, T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. And if you live in the metro Atlanta area, come on out to Smyrna, Georgia, and come to Titans Games and Comics. I help run the Adventures League there also. And as a side note, if you should go check out Joe's articles, if you're a DM and you're frustrated at any level, Joe has spelled out some really great points about the current edition and the organized play. It's a great read for anybody who DMs. Excellent. And Sam Dillon, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at DM Samuel, or you can check out my blog at RPG Musings. And you know, if you're in the Hudson Valley region of New York State or Northern Pennsylvania or Northern New Jersey, for that matter, (laughs) I'm equidistant to all of those places. You can just come by my house and we'll play a damn game, okay? (laughs) No purchase necessary. Love everything about that. (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter at James Intricasso. That's at J-A-M-E-N. S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. 
Or you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources there for your D&D 5e games. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Topher, and Sam. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and extra thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support this show. And if you liked the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable. All right, we're out. Nice. Woo! Thanks, everybody. We...